0: Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon.
1: The scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. There was a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine had given out, Jesus' mother said to him, They're out of wine. You must not tell me what to do, said Jesus. My time has not yet come. Jesus' mother then told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. The Jews have rules about ritual washing, and for this purpose, six stone jars were there, each one large enough to hold between 20 and 30 gallons of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill these jars with water. They filled them to the brim, and then he told them, Now draw some water out and take it to the man in charge of the feast. They took him the water, which had now turned to wine, and he tasted it. He didn't know where this wine had come from, but of course the servants who had drawn out the water knew. So he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everybody else serves the best wine first, and after the guests have drunk a lot, he serves the ordinary wine. But you've kept the best wine until now. Jesus performed the first miracle in Cana in Galilee. There he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May God's blessing be added to the reading, the hearing, and the keeping of his holy word. Over the years, when I've read or heard this scripture, I'll have to admit, the first thing i thought of was not that this was Jesus' first miracle, changing the water into wine. My first thought was, he told his mother what every other kid, male or female, has, t- has told his mom or dad over the years. Don't tell me what to do. And I've heard my own kids say that, and my own grandchildren say that to their parents. Oh, well, maybe not in the same words, but the same meaning. And I'll bet you've heard that too. I heard you laugh more often than you wished. In other interpretations, Jesus says, Woman, don't tell me what to do. Or, Lady, don't tell me what to do. Neither of which sits any better with me. And if a kid called you woman or lady, <laughs> I don't think you'd like that either. So I wondered what Mary thought. Did she feel chastised? Not a nice thing to say to your mom, and especially in front of other people. I've found that as Jesus and others are telling stories or parables... They tell a story and it may or may not make sense or have a meaning to us, to us in our everyday world. Maybe it's giving us the lessons about olive trees or sowing seeds on rocky ground or a son taking his share of his father's wealth and running off with a pack on his back to seek his fortune. Maybe about building a big boat and drowning everything in the world except the animals that came on the boat two by two at a time. But what we have all learned is that we have to dig deeper to find out what that means to us. As each person reads one of these stories, they find out the meaning for themselves. The meaning that I gleam may be quite different from the meaning that you come up with. The meaning that I come up with today might not be exactly the meaning that I come up with next week or next month. Learned scholars may argue over what they think versus what the next scholar has come up with. And who's to really know? We weren't there when it was written or when it happened. And who's to say that anything that you or I come up with may not be wrong? Could be there are several meanings, and nobody's wrong or right. In some research on this particular scripture, I learned there, first of all, that there were two Canas, one Cana in Syria, and the Cana, at the wedding in Cana, that this, that Excuse me here. Here we go. The wedding that this wedding was in was in Cana of Galilee. And evidently, Jesus' mother, Mary, had something to do with the preparations. Some say that she was a sister of the bridegroom's mother. And that's why she was so worried when they ran out of wine. Some of the Gospels that are not in our Bible actually say that the bridegroom was none other than John and that his, his mother was Salome, the sister of Mary. I don't know if these extra details are true or not, but that is something that's report, reported elsewhere. Whatever, this family hosting the wedding was very poor and they had spent all the money that they had and if they did run out of wine, it would be a real disgrace to the family. Hence, Mary, really one of the kitchen help, and the bride's aunt, was worried when the wine started running low. And she went to her son and said, we're running out of wine. The wedding itself always took place on a Wednesday, but the ceremony was not the first thing like at our weddings. They partied, eating and drinking all day long, and I don't know for how many days. The ceremony itself took place in the evening after a huge feast. So it appears to me they needed a lot of wine because the wine was essential. Not that there was drunkenness. No way. To be drunk would be a disgrace. Nevertheless, to provide food and drink for multiple days, I can't even imagine. But let's get back to our story. The wine's running out, so Mary goes to her son, and she tells him, we're almost out of wine. And he says, don't tell me what to do. My time has not yet come. Well it says this term is misleading that it actually means don't worry mom don't worry mom i i understand what's going on just leave things to me and i'll take care of them in my own way that jesus was telling his mother to leave things to him and that he had his own way of taking care of the situation well don't you just wish that instead of us having to figure out what they mean, they would just say it plain and clean right out front. But there must be a reason why they want us to figure it out for ourselves. Mary tells the servants then, do what he tells you to. Well, Jesus tells the servants to take these six water jars Some were there to provide for people to wash their feet from the dry, dusty roads. And some jars were there to purify people, to provide water for them to wash their hands. They were there to wash their hands before the meal and between each course. First, the hand was held upright, the water was poured over them, right side up, and then the hand was held pulling down and the water was poured over the hand that way. Well, the servants were to take these six water jars, each of which held 20 gallons of water, and fill them to the brim with water. They then were to draw water out and take it to the steward in charge of the feast. But what the steward usually did was to serve the so, so-called good wine first. Then, as the guests got kind of tipsy and couldn't care less what grade of wine they were drinking, the steward would start serving the inferior grade and the less expensive wine. So, servants started bringing the vessels of water to the steward. But instead of water in the pitchers, it was wine, very good wine, an excellent grate. This wasn't that two-buck chuck kind. It was at this point that the steward or the master of ceremonies said to the bridegroom, everyone else serves the best wine first, and after the guests have drunk a lot, he serves the ordinary wine. But you've kept the best wine until now. So it was at a village girl's wedding in a Galilean village that Jesus first performed his first miracle. And it was there that his disciples witnessed a dazzling glimpse of what their friend was capable of and who he was. And after looking at the different scenarios presented by various researchers, I've concluded that indeed Jesus was not being a smart-mouthed young man to his mother. It was a term of endearment, and he was assuring his mother that he was on top of the situation and was taking care of it. With his first miracle, he did take care of it. And what does that say to us? One thing it might say is just hold your horses. Give it a bit of time, it'll be taken care of. And not only just taken care of, but it'll come out better than you ever hoped it would be. A friend of mine said to me one time, in the end, it'll all come out okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Amen. Today happens to be the day that we honor Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and I thought it might be good to renew our memories just a bit about this civil rights leader. So at this time, I'd like to ask Dave Beckman to join me Dave will share some facts about Dr. Dr. King that we may have forgotten, and he will also share Dr. King's most famous speech. I have a dream. I don't think you mean that. No,
0: I don't. (laughs) Good. Thank you, Pat. He was born Michael King, Jr. on January the 15th, 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia, and died on April the 4th, 1968 at the age of 39 in Memphis, Tennessee, by assassination. He was buried in Martin Luther King, Jr. National Historical Park in Atlanta. He married Coretta Scott in 1953, and they had four children, Yolanda, Martin, Dexter, and Bernice. He was an American Baptist minister and activist who became the most visible spokesman and leader in the American Civil Rights Movement from 1955 until the time of his assassination. King advanced civil rights through nonviolence and civil disobedience inspired by his Christian beliefs and by the nonviolent activism of Mahatma Gandhi. He was the son of early civil rights activist and minister Martin Luther King, Sr. He participated in and led marches for blacks rights to vote, desegregation, labor rights and other basic civil rights. He led the 1955 Montgomery Bus Boycott and later became the first president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. He helped organize the 1963 March on Washington where he delivered his I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. So let's hear some of that speech. are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi a state sweltering in the heat of injustice sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Atlanta with its vicious racists with its governor Having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with the little white boys and the little white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream became regarded as one of the finest speeches in the history of American oratory. The march, and especially King's speech, helped put civil rights at the top of the agenda of reformers in the United States and facilitated the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964.